What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff. I'm Scott McNally. Of course, I'm here with Dave Crossland. We've got a bunch of stuff going on today, Dave. We have uh, a study that we're going to share. After that, we're going to talk about uh, oral steroids, uh, when to use them, the pros, the cons. And then we've got a bunch of listener questions. If anybody wants to ask some questions, listen, we got a lot of feedback on the previous episode, by the way. So thank you guys for everybody who uh, who commented, liked, shared the show and all that. We have a bunch of questions that was from the YouTube feed, Dave. Wake up, Dave. Excuse me. Dave. I'm sorry. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Yeah? What's up with that? How you doing? I'm good. No, I'm all right, mate. Um, I don't know why I didn't sleep last night. I just didn't. One of them just every up for a piss every 10 minutes. Hmm. Old man problems, mate. Old man problems. Yeah, yeah. You got to get that, that prostate checked. You're uh, you're at that I age. Have. Oh, okay. I've just had it checked, and it was all by a doctor. By a doctor. I had an MRI on my prostate. Oh, I'll have you know. Okay. And it all came back good and healthy. So, good. to you with good. knobs on. All right. Mm. All right. So anyway, though, man, um, let's start out with this study. This thing's really dense, so we're not going to take a lot of time on it. Uh, but I do want to bring this up. Uh, this is something Victoria actually sent to me. Um, Are you suggesting that our listeners and watchers do not have the intelligence to digest this uh, study? No, I'm suggesting I don't have the intelligence <laughs> to digest this study. It is a bit heavy, to be honest. So I'm going to have you explain it to us. The title of it is Opioid Receptor Induced uh, symp Sympathetic Plasticity in Dopamine Neurons Mediates the Rewarding properties of anabolic androgenic steroids okay we're gonna keep this quick because this could get like real crazy we really need dr scott to talk about this but since we don't have him dave explain to us <laughs> we'll we'll have the cheap standing the budget version of dave so what's going on with this the the thick bastard's guide to steroids um it could be good yeah it's <laughs> It's been proposed for a very long time that there is an addictive um, dependency element to steroid use. Yeah. Previously, and it talks about this in the beginning of the study, that previously this was thought to evolve around uh, visual so uh, and physical traits in the sense that you're strong, you're big, you appear strong and big, and that linked to confidence. And it was the drivers was the fact of that diminishing. So you're losing strength, losing size, losing uh, condition or whatever it be. And that was what was driving the repetitive use of steroids. Hmm. Uh, Pope suggested that about 80% of steroid users would become dependent. Yeah. yeah. More recent studies have, have, have suggested that around 30% of users would be dependent in a, a suffering format where they, they just couldn't stop using. Hmm. Um, so they wanted to see what was driving this, and it was suspected that there was um, a reward ratio linked to dopamine and linked to the opioid receptors. When you think about the fact that we use cabagoline, which is a D2 dopamine receptor antagonist um, to reduce prolactin, it isn't a far jump to then think that steroids might have an interaction with dopamine receptors and might have an interaction with um, opioid receptors because they do in the pituitary gland anyway. Okay. So, so basically, they got some rats. Uh, they gave them some gear. Nice. And they, they ran a couple of tests on them. Um, and one was to do with placement where the rats favored to be. And they favored to be where the anabolics were administrated to them. Hell yeah. 
And the other one was where they sought out anabolics. So they, the rats would seek the, what they'd seen administrator anabolics to them. Oh, okay. Um, they then blocked the androgen receptor. So they used the drug to block the androgen receptor. And the rat's behavior didn't change. Okay. So they then used a drug to block the opioid receptor. And the rat's addictive behavior stopped. Huh. So, so is that that's, that's showing, kind of that's like the opioid receptor was then satisfied is what that means when, when they say well, blocked? It just, yeah, it, just, it was it wasn't being triggered by the anabolics. I see, I see, I see. So, oh, so I because see. it's not being triggered by the anabolics, they're not seeking out that hit, so to speak. Okay, and then the, and then from there, you're saying that did change things. Yeah, it changes their behavior. So uh, it, it showed that anabolics huh. not only create addictive behavior. And, and you genuinely can. I mean, the, the study goes into much more detail looking at GABA receptors and looking at different processes and um, MORs and all sorts of different processes and how they, they operate within the brain yeah. and the reward mechanism and such like. But the basic essence of it is huh. that when they gave them anabolics, the rats displayed addictive behavior in, in trying to get more anabolics. Huh. When they blocked the antigen receptor, yeah. that behavior continued or that behavior still started when they administered um, anabolics. They still sought for more. Even though they, the, when they even though they weren't getting jacked anymore. Yeah, even though they weren't getting any androgenic anabolic effects off the drugs, yeah. they were still seeking the drugs. Wow. So okay. obviously it was obvious that that mechanism is being triggered by something else. Yeah, yeah. Now there are still anabolic receptors in the brain that we really just – don't fucking know why they're there and what they do. So they could still be other mechanisms involved in this in a total vision. Yeah. So then they blocked the opioid receptors and administered anabolics to rats when the opioid receptors were blocked and the rats displayed no addictive behavior hmm. because the steroids were not impacting the opioid receptors. So they weren't getting triggered into addictive behavior. Wow. Okay. Well, that, um, that says something, huh? Yeah, well, it basically proves that anabolics react on our, our dopamine and our opamine receptors and our GABA receptors within the brain, mm -hmm. causing physical and mental desires for the drug. Yeah. Addiction. Yeah. As you would from cocaine or heroin or any other drug that we have, we know of addiction being associated with it. It's the same mechanisms. It's the same triggers. It's working through the same, you know, the same route, which is the opioid receptors. Mm. Um, now, um, what does that say long term? Well, apart from the fact that we now can see that steroids are addictive in the true classical sense of the term, and it's not a visual or physical addiction it's not a dependency because of of um impact and, and how the drugs actually change the way we look there is actually a chemical process going on that causes us to seek out these drugs yeah it potentially if i mean i've to be honest probably only ever come across a couple of people that have actively wanted to stop steroid use and were struggling to do so yeah most people i've come across aren't interested in stopping yeah, but it does open the window a little bit to processes that have been used to stop alcohol dependency and cocaine dependency, mm. um, and and quite weirdly, 
something that I'm currently looking into, which is NAD. NAD? NAD. It's a form of B3. I'm not even going to try and say its full name because I'll get it fucking wrong and some smart ass will comment. And then they'll all be hating me instead of you, and I want to keep the hate on you at the moment. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't like Dave, leave a comment for me this episode. Oh, fuck it out. We'll have more comments on this episode. <laughs> You'll be sat there for weeks reading that shit. But NAD has been used very successfully as um, anti-addiction treatment for alcoholics and cocaine use and stuff like that. Okay. Or you could even use like just the, like your standard opiate blockers, it sounds like. you know. Yeah, they, potentially, yeah. Potentially, maybe. Yeah. You know, if you had, I mean, it, yeah, it does. It's interesting. It's interesting, too, that, you know, we're coming at this. We're just looking at what this study said. It, just like before, we looked at that study saying, um, talking about the amount of people that would you know, become almost like addicted to steroids. There, we had a study maybe a month ago where we talked about uh, how it would change. That's what it was. We talked about how it would change your personality. We had somebody who got really upset by that. And he said, I'm leaving this negative channel. Um, you guys are just bashing steroids. No, and, not at all. We're just telling you what the research is saying. I mean, we haven't, I haven't formed an opinion. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it pretty much... It supports what I see, antidotally. It supports what I see in people using. It supports what I see. I, I don't... And that's only becomes a negative to the individual that's using, if they view it as a negative. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. nonetheless, though, it's it's interesting. And I, I think I, I'm, you know, I'm glad that we, we have this stuff. It's, you know, we don't have a ton of research on anabolic steroids. So, it's, it's cool when we see things like this come out. Uh, I just find it interesting academically. I just, yeah. I, I just find it fascinating how this hormone has such a wide spectrum of of impact and and the way it triggers so many different receptors. And I would suspect that, like drugs like, I mean, they use Deca and Test in this, but I would suspect drugs like Deca and drugs like Tren would be even more more so impacting because they have such a strong binding affinity into receptors. They they attach so strongly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm addicted to cake. I, I don't see a problem with that. It's perfectly great. I feed that addiction on a regular basis. I, in fact, I, I fed that addiction very well this week with a load of brownies. Ah, uh, all right. Well, let's move on here before we uh, before we lose everyone. And I think you did a great job, by the way. You explained that in a way I could understand, and uh, hopefully everybody else does. Our audience is probably smarter than me. I'm guessing though, so that's that's fine. That's fine. That's good. Let's move on though. I want to talk it's about heavy, some... It's heavy reading, is that? I'm just it looking is. at it now, and it's like there's there's very few words that aren't... What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to move on. I want to talk about something a little bit simpler. This is a topic that's come up recently. Uh, somebody was asking about oral steroids, and I thought, hey, this would be a fun topic for the Drugs and Stuff podcast. So, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to kind of get into in the future here was maybe doing like we had talked about this before, maybe doing like a steroid profile of the week type thing. Like we did. We went into DHB last week. So we did our steroids in the news. Then we did some DHB talk, broke that profile down. And then we went to our listener questions instead of doing a profile this week, though. I just wanted to talk orals in general. Well, basically, what are the pros and cons of, of using oral steroids? When are the best times to use oral steroids? You know, what are the benefits going to be over an injectable? And like I said, what are the, the cons as well? So where, where do we want to start with this one, Dave? Every time you say oral, I just think of oral sex. Sorry. Um, I can't help it. I don't know why. It just, it just goes there. <laughs> so we're talking about blowjobs this week. Um 
I, I do think that Orals get a particularly bad rap. Um, and in one way, I'm pleased they do because it sort of makes people ultra cautious of them. But at the same time, they are a perfectly viable way of using anabolics as long as you respect them and how they work. Um, they have their limitations, obviously, uh, mainly because of the bioavailability of them and the fact that they're processed through the gut and everything else. Yeah. So in general, orals aren't the most bioavailable. Orals are fat-soluble. Um, now, if you take your orals with food and you take them with non-dietary fats, that some of that oral is going to get passed through your system and you're just going to shit it out. Mm, okay. So I have always recommended taking orals on an empty stomach with healthy fats. Okay. Huh. And then they'll bind. So just fish oil tablets would be fine. Um, you've just dribbled all down yourself. Though, I know, you? man. My lid's not working. I'm just going to take that lid off today. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Should use my help. true new shaker. I need my true nutrition shaker. I got a stupid bodybuilding.com shaker here. Oh, just inferior product. That's all it is. I know, right? Um, but um, so, you know, consuming them with some healthy fats, the orals are going to bind with the healthy fats and they're going to pass into your system much more effectively. Orals can be used as a pre-workout um, mm. because they get into the system so quickly. Yeah. Um, blood plasma levels will peak very rapidly. Um, depends on the person and dose how much that's going to impact you. Um, I know from personal experience when I've run high dose orals as a pre-worker, they've actually become counterproductive because the pumps have been so ridiculous. You can get that. Like if you're taking something like D ball, I've, I've well, seen that even, me, yeah, I've even seen that with a lot of people or myself, you might not be able to do your, like the lower back pumps. You end up not being able to do squats or having issues with bent over barbell rows, things like that. I was, mine was mainly arms and shoulders. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I was I was on some pretty hefty doses at the time. What, what are we talking here? Uh, hundred megavoxy, hundred megavanavar. That's a lot of gear. That's a, <laughs> That's lot, a of gear. lot of gear. <laughs> but I would literally be four or five sets into arms, and I'd be not be done. Couldn't move them. Yeah. They were just so pumped. It was just impractical to do anything. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the reasons. Part of my, you know, let's see what happens if we do this. Um. But, you know, people say, oh, oral only cycles are a bag of shit. No, they're not. If that was the case, then psalm only cycles would be a bag of shit. Pro-hormone only cycles would be a bag of shit. And the fact is, you can have reasonable gains in relation to the doses and drugs you're taking. Yeah. But One here's the, the thing, th though. I think the, the, here's what we run into a lot. And when we title this, the title's going to have, say, like, you know, oral steroids, pros and cons, something like that. This is a topic that a lot of really new guys gravitate toward. And my fear for people is that, it, you know, the oral steroids are the first thing that people think to do. You know, they haven't mm -hmm. done steroids before. Then they think like, okay, I'm going to take an oral. And they think to themselves like, okay, this is what I'll do. And, you know, eventually maybe I'll start injectables. But, you know, or they don't. My fear would be that you continue using orals only for your cycles, and then you get more complex, you're increasing the doses, you're stacking other compounds. And before you know, I mean, they are liver toxic. Let's, you know, of no, course, I mean, I, address we're, that. We're gonna get on to that, definitely. Okay. Um, where orals have their limitation is application of dose. Yeah. You can't shove huge amounts of orals into your system. 
Or for extended periods? No. Uh, and two reasons. Certain orals, you just can't run for extended periods because, like Anavar, it's non-aromatized and you can end up with low estrogen. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, you know, things like that become an aspect with, with certain drugs as well, and orals are, are no exception to that. They are toxic. They're not only liver toxic, they do stress the liver. Now, liver toxicity to a degree has been exaggerated, but I think that's a good thing because it keeps people respectful of the drug. Sure, sure. Uh, but they're also toxic to the stomach. Mm. And at the end of the day, we've discussed this a million times. There's no point using drugs if you can't fucking eat because your stomach's wrecked because of the drugs you're taking. Yeah, yeah. It's counterproductive. If your digestive tract is, and it's one of the most vulnerable areas we have in, in, in trying to put size on, is our ability to absorb and digest the nutrition we eat. Yes, that's the bottleneck. You know, we can we can eat huge amounts of food, but it's getting it from the stomach into the system absorbed and used that, that is quite often the, the, the element that people struggle with. Yeah. And they end up bloated and uncomfortable and, and basically living on the toilet because their stomachs can't cope with the food they're pressing in. And that can be one, two volume, but it also can be toxicity from the drug. And that is particularly prominent with orals. Yeah. Orals, in general, do fuck your appetite in most people, in a large number of people. And as a result, it's not all. It's it's not the ideal way of administrating steroids. There's no way around that. Orals is not an ideal way of administrating steroids. Injectable is a much more efficient and proficient way of using anabolics. Yeah, they are convenient because they're non-invasive. They are convenient because you can hide them in a vitamin C tub in your top drawer and don't have to tell <laughs> mummy and daddy that you're on steroids. Yeah, yeah. But they are far from ideal. That yeah. doesn't mean they don't have uses in place, but you just need to be respectful of them. What I've never understand is the, I'm going to front load with orals. Yeah, we discussed front loading on the last episode, but we referred to more like doubling up your test in the first week of your mm. cycle type thing to get it to build up faster. So let's look at orals more in how they impact the body negatively. So we know they get into the system fast, but we also know they generally, for most people, will cause some level of appetite suppressant and some level of digestive upset. Okay. We know they stress the liver. Okay. So I'm starting my cycle. I'm going to front load with 60 mega bowl a day. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You'll be so jacked in a week. I'm, I'm going to do that. So by the end of week one, definitely by the middle of week two, my appetite's going to be a little bit suppressed. My stomach's going to be mildly inflamed. And my liver's going to start to get stressed. Where do I order this from? I'm so ready to start. I continue, I continue with these anabolics for six weeks, and then I drop them and continue with my injectables. Yeah. Well, I've already stressed my stomach and I've already stressed my liver. Yeah. They're not going to stop being stressed because I've dropped the orals because I'm now on a high dose of that, well, an elevated dose anyway, of anabolics through injectable. And you're forcing food. You're not giving your, you know what I mean? You're not dialing yeah. back. You're not giving your body that break to recover. So to me, it's always made more sense to take anabolics at the end of a cycle. Orals, yeah. So yeah, orals at the end of a cycle. And, and there's two reasons I find this useful. One, if toxicity rises, I know I'm coming off afterwards anyway. I'm not going to try and continue on a cycle once I finish my orals. 
And two, it's a huge psychological boost because I'm physically adding not only a drug in, but a different drug through yeah. a different mechanism. Yeah. So if I increase the injectable dose, it's not that significant on me psychologically because all I'm doing is putting a little bit more fluid in my ass. Mm-hmm. But if I now start taking an oral for the last four to six weeks of my cycle, psychologically, ooh, I'm taking a power pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, and so there's there's that boost, but obviously I also prefer to ramp cycles up. Uh, and I prefer to run a little bit higher at the back end and run a little bit leaner at the front end and ease into the cycle, culminating in a period of higher dose, which averages out, but uh, and then coming off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all for that. And let's, you know, let's look at like a contest prep situation. That's obvious. You know, that's the same thing you'd do. I've seen it set up where somebody wants to do a a, a contest or we'll just say a cut cycle. Usually it'll be the non-competitor. They set up their cut cycle. We'll say they're doing a test master on in trend and they start in, in Winstrel and they start all those compounds from the start of the cycle. I'm of the mindset of, you know, especially like a contest prep, we start with test only, maybe add in a little bit of um, um, clenbuterol or something. Basically focus on the fat loss. And as you progress, then then start adding in the Mastron, then starting in the trend, then add that Winstrel for that last little window. And it's just like the icing on the cake, really. You know, it's not the... Because if you if you were to run a cut cycle and you open it up with Winstrel for the first six weeks, and then you've got six weeks left... You've just used what was your cosmetic hardening because in that case it's you know it, 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 a winstrel and a, a halo uh, in anivar those things are going to be more for that cosmetic look you know that appearance of being harder more vascular more grainy you don't need that at the beginning of the cycle you want it at the end when you're your leanest I think that's the a big mistake. Thing, the other thing is you're then living with the stress of that for the full cycle as well. It, sure. It's effectively premature ejaculation in a chemical form. You're still stuck on the sex thing, huh? I know. It's just, honestly, <laughs> I have a real childish mind because I'm quite a prude when it comes to sex stuff. <laughs> I, I am. I am. I'm quite a prude. So when someone says oral, the first thing my head goes to is oral sex. And they're like, Ooh, he said oral sex. Ah. But no. Um, yeah, I mean, but it is. You know, he, he, you're shooting your load early because you're putting everything in at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you'll get this huge initial response and be like, whoa, and then everything will start to go to shit six weeks in because your body's tired, it's stressed, and where do you go from there? Sure. The only way you can go is down. Yeah. Uh, and so you're much better holding back, adding things in as and when you need them. And I, and I just, it makes no sense to me to run orals at the beginning of a cycle. I just, I don't see the logic in it. I really don't. Yeah. All right, so and we could probably split these up into a couple of groups: bulking orals versus cutting orals. I mean, something like uh, draw and draw. You could take that whenever you wanted to, really. You know, but you know, something like D ball. Could you use D ball cutting? I suppose technically you could, but your estrogen is going to go up, and being in like a really high estrogenic state, that's great for growing, but it's not that great for trying to lose fat. You know. No, and I mean the the basic guideline is. Aromatizing drugs are bulking drugs, uh, and non-aromatizing drugs are cutting drugs. For the simple, and it, people get mixed up with this. All right. Oh, so Winstrel's a cutting drug, which means it's going to burn body fat. No, it means it's going to lower estrogen because it doesn't aromatize, which means you're going to be drier, you're going to appear leaner. And yes, there is an added benefit. Low estrogen will increase fat loss, but it's not a direct action from that drug. Yeah. 
Anavar is the only oral that has a, a mild interaction on fat loss, and that's because it interacts with thyroid conversion, so it has an impact on T3 levels. Okay. Um, but um, the vast majority of cutting orals have no real impact on fat loss apart from the fact that they lower your female hormones, so as a result, you drop water and appear leaner. Yeah. Uh, Oxy, on the other hand, acts as a progestin, which means it will trigger the progesterone receptor. But Oxy is brilliant if you're shredded pre-stage. You reminded Fucking me, by the way. Transforming. It will trans... Wow, what was that, you junkie? Anniver. But, um, you know, if you're it's already lean or you're super lean... Oh, fuck off. <laughs> it is. It's for my shoulder. If you're super lean... Then, then obviously oxys are brilliant because they will fill you out massively. They will increase blood volume greatly within in, within your structure, and you'll just look fuller, leaner, and more vascular. But if you're fat, they'll have the opposite effect. Okay, let's wrap this topic up with uh, with uh, two questions for you: all time favorite oral, and let's go with the let's do it this way: most underrated oral. And most overrated oral. How about that? Anavar, I think, is the most overrated oral. Really? Really? I feel like a lot of people don't like Anavar. They say it's weak. It seems to be one that I hear constantly people referring to as, as oh, Anavar on a court, Anavar on a court. And it's like, I, I just don't see the, the benefit to Anavar over T-ball or other drugs. Yeah, we just got a, a, a comment here. Josh says... I use Anavar because I stubbed my toe five years ago. I think that's a fair deal. Yeah, it's a good. I move. agree. I think that's a very good logic. So Anavar overrated. Um, okay, then what? On what's your the most underrated oral? Can I have two here? Mm, it's your show. Can I guess. I, I guess you can. It's our show, Scott. But you're the you're the star, Dave. We're gonna get the oh, t-shirts. No, not at all. We're gonna not get guys. All. We're gonna get t-shirts made with Dave's face, <laughs> yeah, and I'm it's gonna say it's "Chip it's Chip it's Cheerio." Do you guys want that Wait. shirt? Comment below if you want that shirt. I do. I want that shirt. Dave wants that shirt. He doesn't know it, but he does. <laughs> I'm gonna send Scott a turd in the mail. I think that will um, not get through customs, but you can try. <laughs> Bit funny if it did, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, I would say the T bowl is oh. probably a very underrated oral. Yeah, that's good. That's a good call. Yeah. Um, but I would say that Oxy is a very misunderstood oral. Yeah. My favorite, personally, ever oral was a product called Sinastron. You're getting all exotic on us here. It, it's it's pre- reportedly a form of oxymethylone. Oh, okay. Fuck me, that shit was strong. Yeah? Huh. Uh, a blinding headache from day one. Nice, that sounds great. <laughs> Nosebleeds. But fuck, was I strong. Yeah? It sounds yeah, awesome, man. I, I want the headaches. It was powerful shit, was that. It, it was... You know, if you wanted a drug that did what it said on the tin, Jesus Christ, that stuff was strong. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, no, I mean, Oxys have this big reputation for being liver killers and this, that, and the other. And it, it's when you start looking at how they use medicinally. Yeah. 
you start to realize that the reputation is very poor and then it's like oh you can't use it close to show because it will water you out and it will do this and it will do that and it's like no actually it's it's really beneficial in a lot of ways yeah but i think i think yeah i think uh, an oral that gets overlooked a lot is t-ball yeah i think that's a good call that was that's nice, a good move nice nice little oral actually is t-ball yeah. it's got a you know it's, it's quite a diverse little drug and i would say probably the most used would be d-ball followed Followed by Winstrel. You think Winstrel's used more than Anova? I do because of the availability and the cost. You, like every, you know, it's, like Winstrel's everywhere and it's cheap. See that that might be a a, a a nation's thing because I would have said that Anavar is more available and more used over here than Winstrel. And really? Winstrel, you won't see it, yeah, and you won't see huh. Winstrel as often. Okay, yeah, we see a lot of Winstrel with the, <laughs> the the underground labs and stuff, and it's cheap. It's like cost wise is similar, you know, to to like D Ball. I think maybe I don't know, maybe a little bit more. I will say this too, but man, I don't want to take our topic too much further. But what about injectable orals? Well. Supposedly, I mean, really, you've got all the benefits of the oral with none of the the drawbacks, have you? Well, the at least none of the the digestive drawbacks, <clears throat> and you miss the first pass on the liver. We didn't even mention the reason that oral steroids are hard on the liver is that they have a special coating, basically, that allows them to pass through the liver to hit your bloodstream, which is damaging. You know, yeah. is what it comes down to. So you miss that when you use an injectable. Winstrel or an injectable D-ball. Some of that stuff is water-based, though. That adds some new complications, pain, uh, mm -hmm. infections. A water-based product is a lot more likely to cause an infection because water can, can grow use, bacteria. You can use, use water-based sublingual wool and bypass the stomach. Will it? Mm -hmm. You can drink Winstrel. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. But you can put it under the tongue and use it sublingual. So it, it dissolves into the bloodstream via the blood vessels under the tongue. I suppose you could do that with a tablet too, couldn't you? To some degree, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's as effective. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Let's move on. We've got a bunch of listener questions, Dave. Okay. What are we going to start with here? We've got a bunch of them pulled up. Um, we had one last from the – he posted it on the last episode. Um, now, I don't have – that particular question in front of me. But basically, here is the situation. He is in contest prep. He is using Trend. And he is experiencing wicked night sweats. I think this is his first time using Trend. And he seems to be very concerned that what he is experiencing is hypoglycemia. And he's afraid that he's going to need to eat carbs to stop this sweating. What are your thoughts here, Dave? No, trend just makes you sweat. Suck it up, or don't use trend. <laughs> I said that to him, but in a nicer way because I like our audience members. Yeah, no, I don't mean it, but it, it's it's you're not going to go hype. Right, trend can cause very very mild hyperglycemia, but if that was going to happen, you'd be experiencing that during the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's your night sweats just come side to side with ten. It's as simple as that. If you're going to use trend then you are most likely going to suffer with high temperatures on a night. Okay. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it's deal with it or, or don't use trend. Yeah. Um, it's as simple as that. And I, I, I know that sounds harsh and I'm not meaning to be dismissive, but it is as simple as it is. You know, it is a very powerful drug. And unfortunately, for certain people, the side effects can be 
particularly dramatic. Um, I mean, I know people that get warm with Trent, but mm-hmm. then I know people that have DMP level night sweats with Trent. Oh, dude, I've sweat. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I sweat. I've sweat so much on Trent. I will tell you this. Here's what I've noticed. Um, it's when I'm holding more fluid. It's when I've eaten carbs. So if I did a cheat meal and I'm mm-hmm. really lean, contest lean, then I know that night I'm just going to be just a furnace. But what I would, but you're going to have that anyway when you're super lean if you eat carbs anyway. Absolutely, whether you whether you're using trend or not. But that trend would definitely amp it up. In fact, I had a whole regiment set up next to my bed where I laid down a towel like a big beach towel, a thick one, laid it over my pillow. And then I would lay on that. And then in the middle of the night, I would wake up again. And then I would change that towel for another one that was next to my bed. And then after that, I'd finally throw the towel down and I'd have a separate blanket. And I'd grab that other blanket. And then I'd just sweat on the mattress for the, the end of the night. But man, I would just, I would wake up so dry and hard. In fact, I kind of went a little crazy with it. I started thinking to myself, like, man, I'm going to start sleeping. And I started sleeping with an electric blanket for a while on top of that. I swear to God. And I would wake up. My fingers would be pruned because I was sweating so much. Fuck it out. I'll show you some pictures from that that period, dude. I was It was insane. I was, like, I was contest ready in the 190. So the last time I had competed, I was, like, 193, okay? And I didn't compete for two years. And this time I ended up getting on stage at 181. <laughs> okay, now. I just wanted to see how far I could push it. Obviously, I took it too far, you know, and I, I definitely sacrificed size. I still I took second. I almost I almost won. The guy who beat me took the overall. We had this really cool, like a, it was a big, big, uh, they kept calling us back and they kept comparing us. And then the guy ended up beating me. But I mean, if I would have been five pounds heavier, who knows what would have happened, but he had better shape. It was still, man, it was it was ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just something you got to deal with. It's something you got to expect if you're going to run trend, if you're going to contest mm-hmm. prep. You know, these things are going to happen. Wife used to love it because it, she's always cold in bed, so she used to <laughs> love the radiator that was sleeping next to her. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Right, I've never really had the soak the bed sweats, but I've had enough to be warm, if you know what I mean, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's another question. This came from our YouTube feed, um, and he asks, uh, I'm planning to run EQ and test E. Should I add any other PEDs like Anadrol as a Kickstarter for three weeks? I really want to put on as much mass as I can. He's 190 pounds at six foot. He's been lifting for seven years. I asked him um, what his previous cycle experience would be was, and he said that um, the last cycle he did was four years ago. Um, it was uh, test propanate along with Winstrel for eight weeks. Um, so he's had other cycle experience, but it sounds like it hasn't been for four years. What are your thoughts here? Test and EQ? Should he add anything else? No, I don't. I mean, one, his cycle experience seems quite mild. Two, he's mm-hmm. had four years off. I mean, he could possibly get away with test only as well. It'd be like a brand if new cycle wa- or like, you know, yeah, it's going to be a first cycle all so. over again. Yeah. Um, if he's wanting to put weight on and grow, then it's not really looking at adding more drugs. It's look at efficient training and getting more food in. Mm. The EQ could potentially help with that. Um, EQ is one of them drugs that, you know, you speak to 50% of people and they say, oh, my appetite's for the roof on EQ. Yeah. And you speak to the other 50% of people and say, no, it fucking kills my appetite. I can't do anything for it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, that very much person dependent. But um, 
Yeah, I, I don't see anything wrong. If he wants to run an oral, fine. But as we've already discussed in the show, stick it at the end. Don't stick it at the beginning. And at the end of the day, if he's looking to bulk, 190 at six foot. So he's not particularly a heavy built guy. So I would suspect that food consumption is not easy for him. So I would be a little bit wary of orals Good if point. they're going to damage his appetite. Um, because it, I would have thought that it sounds like eating's not his strong point. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you'd expect him to be a bit more than 190 at six foot, yeah. normally anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't see... Focus more on your food and your training, and, and the drugs are, are more than adequate. If he did want to use an oral... Um, just my personal uh, experience now. So all steroids will thicken your blood, will build red blood. Uh, Winst, or excuse me, um, EQ is known as being a real strong blood builder, as is Anadrol. Anadrol, which so I wouldn't run the two together. Yeah, yes, I was just, yeah. just thinking that myself. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great, so I, I just, minds. I've seen people who say, oh, I don't care. They'll stack them together because they like both of them. But just my personal experience and taste, I'd prefer to use something else, maybe you know, D ball or something, but I think you're right, man. I don't think he necessarily needs it. Let's see what we've got here next. Uh, another question from <coughs> YouTube. And once again, guys, if you're watching this now uh, and you're watching this on YouTube, then feel free comment, you know, leave us, uh, leave us your thoughts, leave us your feedback, all that stuff. We appreciate. Um, of course, if you haven't subscribed yet, we'd love to have you along. Cause we have several podcasts each week and feel free to ask questions. We'll take them on the next show. Um, all right. He says, here's a, a topic. It's not exactly drug related. I heard some top bodybuilding coaches talk about body fat set point and that everyone is different. Some will get fat easily while others uh, stay lean with the same calorie intake and expenditure. Um, would be cool if you could talk a bit about the role um, our genetics and hormones play on body fat and maybe... Um, and if we should, uh, help, excuse me, help body fat loss with drugs. Okay. So hormone wise, the biggest driving factors for fat accumulation are our female hormones. So estrogen to a degree, progesterone, um, very high levels of estrogen or in particular, more low levels of testosterone in reflection to high levels of estrogen. Um, will cause us to store fat, and particularly in a female pattern, i.e. hips, arse, you know, those sort of areas. Um, so that's really where your hormone element comes into it. Um, yeah. Set point is effectively the point at which your body likes to stay. When you initially diet and lose fat, if you don't maintain the new body weight that you achieve for a period of time, your body will strive to go back to its previous weight because that's its set point. That's now, a lot of people disagree with the terminology and I can see why, but effectively our body doesn't like change and it will strive to return to where it was. And that will be both when trying to gain weight, it will try and go back down. Uh, and when you're trying to lose weight, it will try and go back up. Once you've maintained your new body weight yeah. for a period of time, and that can vary from person to person, but most people will say the sort of six weeks to eight weeks of maintaining a new body fat composition or a new muscle fat, muscle to body fat composition, then your body will start to 
accept that as its baseline, as this is my normal. Yeah. And then as a result of that, it, it's a bit more reluctant to move away from that if you increase cows or decrease cows, depending on where you are and what you're doing. So when we try and push our body one way or the other, it will initially fight back. Yeah. And it will still try and regress when we stop that process. But once we've maintained that new position, it accepts that as its new position. And then it's much more reluctant to go back the opposite way. So say for argument's sake, you lose two, two, you lose 25 pounds of fat. You then stay at that 25 pounds of fat, fat loss for two months. Mm-hmm. If you then started to initially increase your calories, your body fat composition would stay in that area initially. Yeah. Eventually, it will start to gain because you're in a calorie surplus. But sure. initially, it won't respond to that calorie increase because it will try and stay where it is. Yeah. But if you keep bludgeoning it with more calories, it will eventually just go, right, fine, fat storage, off we go. Insulin sensitivity plays a huge role into this, um, as does you know your genetics as well. There are studies that show there are genetic predispositions in people in, in regard to have greater or lower levels of fat storage you're but you know i mean we've got three basic body types haven't we mesomorph endomorph and all that crap um and there's even been stuff to show the transplantation of fecal matter can change how people maintain body fat hmm. yeah okay uh, yeah that's right i've seen that too yeah so there are it is quite a complex subject and to be honest i don't know enough about it to get into real detail so i can only sort of give you the basic overview yeah we need Dr. Scott again on this one because yeah. um, he would be able to go into a gnat's ass of the details of what triggers fat loss and fat gain, etc. Yeah. But that's the nutshell cheap seat version of it. I'll tell you something too. Um, as a coach, I, I've seen various types of body fat compositions and, you know, where people hold it. The people, so there is, there is like a genetically gifted body type out there. And that is the body type that holds their body fat evenly. That mm. when you're a guy that like for a lot of men, we tend to hold a lot of fat in our lower backs. You know, that's that's one spot where you could be, you know, shredded up front. I've even seen guys where their legs are completely shredded, but they still have love handles, you know. And you're only as lean as your fattest body part if you're gonna be on stage. You know, no matter how lean you are, if you have you know, saggy glutes, or you still have love handles, you still, you're only as lean as that body part. You know, that's the way you're seen on stage. It's the guys and girls who have like an even fat distribution where it's just like a thin layer over their entire body. Those are the ones that can really get away with, I think, pushing the body fat up a little higher and not have to struggle as much. Because if you have like a a stubborn area, sometimes you have to really like, for glutes, for some people, can be really stubborn. Their whole body's in. And, of course, in bodybuilding now, everybody wants to have the shredded glutes on stage. But you may end up sacrificing your legs or sacrificing how full you are up top to get that weak body part into shape. So sometimes it's a matter of balancing it. And maybe your glutes just can't be quite as peeled as the next guy. But if everything else looks better, you know, at its best, then it's it's finding that that balance. Have you noticed, though, that if you sacrifice and get that weakest body part in terms of fat loss uh-huh. into condition, even though you might deteriorate other areas in muscle loss in order to do so, that the next time you diet, you find that area comes in so much more easier. It depends, I think. It depends. I can tell you, for some people, they just have a stubborn body part. 
And I, I was just talking to somebody the other day. It's the, you know, the fat cells that are there. If you get lipo done now, you could change that. Think mm. about that because you, if you, I mean, you can always grow more fat cells, but if you say you had a ton of fat cells in your lower back or in your glutes, if you had lipo done, you're reducing the number of fat cells that are there anymore. And that area mm. could get lean a lot quicker. So just throwing it out there, guys. If I was the a pro, is, I would get, I well, would consider getting lipo. Like imagine, I think many do. Yeah, you, I think many why not? do. You know, if like my life, you know, my livelihood and stuff, why not? Why not? And I, I think many do because of how they carry the fat in the off season. It would point to the fat that their fat cell distribution has been manipulated. Huh. But it could also just be genetics as well. I do think. Uh, let's take this. Like yeah. I've seen it um, myself. For instance, I, when I was a kid, I had high estrogen that led to like pseudo gyno. I didn't develop mm. lumps, but I got like a fattier chest. After having gotten rid of that, my hormonal my hormones never went back to where they were when I developed that fat to begin with, and it hasn't really been as much of a problem. So, you know, I, I think you know that that could be it, it could lend toward what you're saying for sure. The the other aspect of this is if you've got a body part that tends to hold fat, put more muscle on it. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I did because, with my glutes because yeah, they um, they wouldn't show through because they didn't have the development, you know. My, my arms were always and always looked particularly lean in comparison to the rest of my body fat levels. And the yeah. reason was because I carry so much muscle mass in them. They, the, the percentage of fat on that area was less in proportion to the muscle that was there. Yeah. If you take like a pro in their off season and they're fat, they still look like a bodybuilder. Versus if you take a guy who's only competed once, he's a middleweight. He gets in the off season, he's put on 30 pounds. He does not look like a bodybuilder anymore because he doesn't have the muscle showing through, you know? No. It's yeah. I mean, the more muscle mass you carry in an area, generally the easier you'll find to bring it in. Yeah. All right. I'll move on here. We've got another one from the YouTube. Just uh, the YouTube comments from last week, and then after that, we've got a few questions here on the feed, so we'll rip through them. Um, he says uh, this is his favorite podcast next to Fuad's. I'd say that as a compliment. I've never seen Ford's podcast, but I believe it's very good. I'll say then that. How do you say his name? It's uh, Pam Panda. Pam Panda, you're my favorite listener, next to our other listeners. Who <laughs> 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 <Ooh>, you bitch? <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, man. We appreciate you listening. Uh, he says, "Milk for Scott." <laughs> he says, uh, "What would be the best compound to use uh, besides test?" If progesterone levels are always elevated, from what I understand, nandrolone acts like progesterone to the receptor, um, so he's not going to touch this stuff. He says, uh, I've tried Masteron, and it decreased a little bit, uh, but he said uh, he was worried about uh, that causing DHT side effects. Uh, pretty much nobody talks about progesterone since many more people have issues with estrogen and prolactin. Thanks a lot. If progesterone is high, estrogen will stay low, so will prolactin. So high progesterone is doing you a favor. Okay. Uh, Decker and Tren act and Anna, uh, Androl, I'll speak American, Oxys. I'll Thank speak you. English. Yeah. Anadrol or Oxys, their real name, their proper name. Um, Draw. Act as progestins, not progesterone. Okay. What's that mean? Tell me. Uh, progestin is something that engages with the progesterone receptor, but it doesn't influence the progesterone receptor in the same way that progesterone does. In fact, progestin often has negative impacts of progesterone. 
in one of those is, and this is why we see issues with prolactin, uh, well, side effect issues with prolactin from Decker and Tren, is because if progesterone receptor was triggered correctly, then prolactin wouldn't be able to rise, nor would estrogen, because progesterone will force prolactin and estrogen down. It's a regulatory hormone. Yeah, yeah. Progestins don't. They actually increase estrogen and prolactin. Okay. So by taking nandrolones or oxy, you actually shouldn't have issues with elevated progesterone because it should bring it down. Huh. However, what people don't realize is tamoxifen also acts on the progesterone receptor. I've heard this. Yeah, yeah. So he could look at running tamoxifen. Hmm. Okay. But I would be curious to, to know what actual problems he's having in regards to elevated progesterone. Yeah, yeah, me too. Is this just a, oh, I've got it on my blood, so I need to deal with it? Or is this i I've got it on my blood, and I'm actually having a problem with it? Because they are two very different things. Yeah. I have seen prolactin levels as elevated on test-only cycles as I have on nandrolone cycles, yet they only have a problem with the prolactin on the nandrolone cycle. Uh, and yeah. that's because of the interaction at the progesterone receptor from the progestin. Yeah, yeah. I don't fully understand how the mechanism works, and I'm trying to learn it, but what I do understand is it's the progestin interaction at the progesterone receptor that creates the side effects you're seeing from the elevated prolactin from nandrolones that you don't see when testosterone gives you the same level, which is why in prolactinemia, which I've said slightly wrong, naturally elevated high prolactin, we don't see a huge amount of gyno. Mm, okay. Because high prolactin on its own isn't really a huge driver from gyno. It's high prolactin with this interaction at the progesterone receptor from progestins, yeah. that we see the gyno. Okay. That's the key element that changes everything. Okay. Um, but I say I haven't fully learnt it all yet, um, but I am slowly but surely working my way through it. Um, so, you know... Get back. Let us know what you're experiencing with this high progesterone. Why is it a problem for you? Uh, or is it just a case of you're seeing elevation in bloods and that's concerning you? Mm, yeah. Okay. Let's see. We'll rip through these questions we have in the live feed. And once again, anybody's welcome to throw questions in on uh, the YouTube comment below. Um, okay. Here's one. We've got uh, from Jeremy. He says, uh, can T4 be used for fat loss or will your body only convert to can, can convert it to the T3 that is needed? That's a good question. First of all, Dave, explain to him the difference between T3 and T4. One's got a three on it and one's got a four on it. Very good. Next question. Um, T4 converts to T3. Our thyroid produces T4, and then T4 is converted to T3, and the relationship between the two hormones is quite critical. Depending on you as an individual depends on how well your T4 to T3 conversion will operate as T4 elevates. Some people, it will continue to convert in line. Uh -huh. So you, you up T4, and T3 will go up proportionally with it. Yeah. 
for some people, that conversion mechanism has a little bit of a bottleneck, and the T4 conversion to T3 won't be as great. So you end up with high T4 and mildly elevated T3. Yeah. Uh, the problem is when you get your T4 and T3 out of sync from a point of view of high T4, it can cause anxiety and all sorts of mood issues. Okay. It's nowhere near as impacting if you have high T3 and low T4. So high T4 and low T3 is problematic. High T3 and low T4 doesn't appear to be very problematic at all. So to answer the question, yes, you can diet on T4, but it does depend on you as an individual as to how well you convert, as to whether that's going to be particularly successful or if you're going to start to experience sides. Um, generally speaking, though, if you were going to run T4, you'd keep the dose reasonable. Don't start ramming tooth. I mean, obviously, we work on roughly a one to four ratio between T4 and T3. Yeah. So don't think of, oh, I'm going to run 50 mega T3, so I need to run 200 mega T4 because you might not get that same benefit. You might be better with a 100 mega T4. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll add a couple things in. Um, we didn't mention that um, T4 is inactive thyroid hormone which is then the t once it's converted to the T3, you need it to be T3 to lose fat. Jeremy's also asked us some growth hormone questions in the past. So I want to add that you can increase. So growth hormone can increase that conversion from T4 to T3. So it would make sense that if you were using growth hormone, that you may get more of a benefit out of using T4 than you would without using growth hormone. And I thought it was the opposite way around. I thought growth hormone reduced the conversion of T4 to T3. No, it increases it. So increases you end it. up so you end up with lower T4 is what you end up having because okay. it's converting it to more T3. Okay, sorry. Anavar has a small impact there as well, doesn't it? But it's not really it's a bit And we had another guy he asked me um how Anavar is uh let's see, how's Anavar helping my shoulder? And, um, I mean, honestly, I stopped taking it for a bit and then I just decided, you know what, I'm going to keep taking it, but I'm only taking, uh, 12.5 milligrams a day. So it's hard to say it's going to be a long-term thing, you know, um, it's part of a much bigger program. I think that the collagen and the type two collagen, uh, all that stuff, the growth hormone, the BPC-157, I think those are probably going to have a bigger role. But it's just kind of like a little in addition. I am going to look into some stem cells. I'm talking to a guy on Friday about that, so I'll keep you guys posted. Um, Scott has taken a kitchen sink approach to his shoulder rehab. Pretty, pretty much. Pretty much anything that increases collagen synthesis is in there. Well, I'm going for, you know, I'm going for the actual, you need the materials, right? So that's yeah. what... That's where I'm getting. That's why I'm using the collagen and the there type is, two collagen, and then I'm using something that will upregulate the synthesis. You know, that being the growth hormone. The BPC is there to repair, and I'm throwing a little Anavar on top of that. A little sprinkle of Var for good. Always sprinkle a little Var on it for good measure. We've got a question about uh, where was that one? It was about um, Primobolin. Uh, is it overrated? And what is the optimal dose? I don't think any drug is. Uh, 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 uh. You know, take that back, huh? <laughs> uh, no, uh, Primo. Primo has its limitations. Okay. 
Um, it is mild in its action. Yeah. I do think that people tend to jump up and down and rave about Primo because it's the done thing. It's the what? Done thing. It's fashionable almost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean, yeah. Um, because in in comparative results, you're not going to get out of Primo what you're going to get out of Decker or Test or Trend or, or the other drugs. Yeah. But... It, its impact is subtle, but it, it's it's there. And if you're lean, you will definitely see some very nice lean tissue gains from Primo. But you're not going to see 20, 30 pound gains that you potentially could with a big test, a water heavy test and deco cycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on the flip side, it's incredibly mild on your system as well. So it's a really easy drug to get on with virtually no side effects pretty universal in who can use it um as to optimum dose how long's a piece of string that that that's i don't think there is really an optimum dose yeah i think it's more a case of the third the worst thing and the hardest thing with primo is getting real primo <laughs> yeah um but i don't think there really is an optimum dose because you know it would depend on your level of development. It would depend on your body fat levels. It would depend on, on so many other factors as to how well you're going to react to the drug. We've talked about it on other shows. I think that one of the things you, I've heard it being said that, you know, in the past, people used to say, like, you need to really ramp. It's a it's a weaker drug. So you got to take like 700, 800 milligrams a week. I have personally found like even as low as 300 was fine. I took the 700. And then I backed it down to six and then to five and then to four. And if I were to use it again, I'd probably use it at three. But I'd probably use it with a couple other compounds too. Of course, test, maybe something else and get more of a synergistic effect between, you know, the Primo and a couple other things versus just relying on just the Primo. I would say you're looking at the three to 400 mark would be where I would. If someone said to me, what dose do I take? I'd say, no, no I'd try three to 400 and see where you are. There you go. I think that's probably a good place to be. And you know what? It's going to be a little more effective on cost because that stuff is not cheap. This, you need 800 to a gram. No. That's a guy who's selling it to you. Yeah, it's bollocks. <laughs> but I mean, if you can afford 800 to a gram, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> you got a damn good job because <laughs> yeah. like you say, he's pricey shit. The yeah. hardest thing with Primo is, is, is just getting Primo, is getting the real thing. Yeah. There's so much shite out there that's touted as Primo. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was even chatting to a, a female at the Strom Open Day on Saturday who was saying she had been running 100 mega Primo a week, mm -hmm. and she was starting to get very deep. Wow, and, yeah. And, and there was me and, and Richard there, and we both looked at each other and went, test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it fucking ain't primo. Or it's highly unlikely to be primo if you're getting viralization of that level at 100 milligrams a week. Absolutely. Not impossible, but it's unlikely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's all our questions for today, guys. If you have any questions you want to ask on the show, uh, comment below. And please, uh, you know, leave us a like, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. If you guys have had any experience, uh, you know, with uh, appetite issues with orals, I want to hear about that. So definitely uh, let us know about that stuff. Dave, we didn't have uh, any British uh, slang for the day, so we should prepare one for the next episode. We'll uh, come back to answer questions, do some British I slang. Will, I will part with some British slang. you part with some British slang? All right. Yes. You need to sort that fucking barnet out. What?
you need to sort that fucking Barnet out. And I'm not telling you what it is till next week. Barnet? Barnet. Is it hair? Yeah, well done. Yeah, yeah, women have a bonnet, yeah. No, Barnet, B-A-R-N-E. Oh, Barnet. Yeah. I never heard of that. I I just lucky guess, I guess. Yes. I got to sort my hair out? You don't like my hair, Dave? No. Oh, it's all right, because I don't like you. How about that? It's 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 a bit tintinish at the moment. It's what? A bit tintinish at the moment. Tintin? Remember the cartoon character Tintin? No, yeah. I, I gotta look him up though. I gotta see. Look, look Tintin up. In Hold fact, on. that's your new name, Scott Tintin McNally. I won't tell Dave my middle name. I don't care. Your new your middle name is Tintin McNally. Actually, I told him before the show it's Tiffany, but he doesn't believe me. Because I know he's not Tiffany. Tintin. Tin cartoon. Okay, let's see Tintin. Spitting image. Yeah, I love it. Scott. It's great. Yep, that's you. Scott Tintin McNally. That's great. Yeah, I'll dye my hair red, it looks like. And then I'll be uh, set to go. All right. Well, for another episode of Drugs and Stuff, go to uh, crosslands.org.uk. Check out Dave Crossland. Uh, you can visit me. I've got um, email below. Or you can just uh, go to Tintin on Instagram. You can find me there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, check out uh, our sponsor, truenutrition.com. Get Azoth, that's A-Z-O-T-H.com, and uh, supplementneeds.co.uk. We've got links and uh, we've got codes down below. All right, guys, we'll see you. Bye.